darkness. It can be awkward or funny in this situation. You may be like, this is not what it's supposed to happen. Uh, it can be scary depending on the situation. I think in this case, you know, because we're in a room and it's small, and there's a lot of people, it's probably not that scary to you. But what, what do we know about darkness? It's unsettling. If you had the preference of being in the dark or being in the light, you probably would prefer the light. You probably would be like, Dylan, please turn the light on before I fall asleep listening to you. That might be you as well. But here, here's the reality. In, in the dark situation, even a little bit of light can make a big difference. Even a little bit of light can make a big difference. Now, this light isn't going to you know, completely light up the room, but if this room was even a million times bigger than it was on a completely flat surface, and if it was pitch black in here, you would still be able to see this for miles and miles and miles away. Because again, just a little bit of light can make a huge difference. Again, it's not going to light up the room, but if you're standing next to this light like I am, let's say you were camping or you were outside somewhere, this light would be enough to help you not trip, to help you not fall over, to help you not maybe run into a tree. And so uh, what we're going to look at this morning as we turn the lights on is we're continuing uh, our series through the book of John, uh, the I Am Statements of Jesus, seeing what Jesus has to say about himself. And here's the question I just want to submit to you as we get into it this morning, and that's this. Would you rather live in the light or walk in the dark? Would you rather live in the light or walk in the dark? You may be like, obviously, no one really wants to be in the dark. Who would want to be in the dark? And so that's the case. Since that's the case, right, since if we had a preference, if we had a preference, we prefer to have light rather than dark. How do we do? How do we make this happen? How do we ensure that we're living in the light instead of the dark? That is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And so, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. Uh, John chapter eight. Uh, there's a black one around you. If you don't have one, maybe you've got one on your phone. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of those black ones home. That is our gift to you. Uh, we're going to look at the second I am statement of Jesus. Again, all these statements are is Jesus telling us about himself, telling us who he is in his own words. And I want to give you some context about what's going on here before we actually read this statement. So what's happening here, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels in the New Testament, they weren't always written linearly, which means it's not always this happened and this happened and then this happened. Generally speaking, it, they all start from Jesus either the beginning of his life or his earthly ministry, and they end after his death, burial, resurrection. But in between, sometimes the authors put things in different places to kind of emphasize different points. And so John chapter 8, verse 12, is actually picking up from a story that happens in John chapter 7, verse 39. And here's what's happening in John chapter 7, just for you to set the scene, to understand the significance of what Jesus is about to say. Jesus is, is, is in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they are currently celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was a week-long celebration that happened in Jerusalem at the temple every single year. And what it was, it was a celebration and a remembrance of God delivering the Israelites uh, from the Egyptian slavery into the Promised Land. And so during the midst of that, before they, after they left the Egypt, the Egypt and went to the Promised Land, if you're familiar with the story, you know that the uh, Israelites wandered in the desert for quite a long time. And so God sent a cloud during the day that was always with them, even in the middle of the desert. And at night, the cloud turned into a pillar of fire. And so what it did was when the cloud moved and the pillar of fire moved, they went with it. Why? So they wouldn't be in the darkness. And this pillar of fire at night reminded the Israelites that God was with them, that God cared for them, and of God's faithfulness to him. And so this celebration was a remembrance of that. And so what they did was they put lamps all over the temple, and every night they lit them. Now, this would have made the temple look beautiful, and it would have been really significant because, again, in this time, they don't have modern electricity and anything like that. So at nighttime, everything just got dark, but not during the week of the Feast of Tabernacles. So they're lighting these lamps in remembrance of God's faithfulness in the desert, but also looking forward towards the day when the Messiah would come back to earth 
that they would be able to worship this light in Jerusalem. And so what's happening here, we don't know this for sure, but it seems most likely that this is the last night of the Feast of Tabernacles. The last night was the biggest night. They even lit lit even more lamps. Probably this uh, interchange happens in the evening after they've written all all these lamps. Again, the Israelites, the Jewish people, are celebrating God's faithfulness in the past, the pillar of fire, the light that God was to the Israelites, and are are yearning and wanting and looking forward to the future when this Messiah would return and that they would be able to worship him in Jerusalem, in the temple where Jesus is. Now, some background of what happened in John chapter 7 as well. Jesus has already started to tell them that God sent him from heaven, that God the Father sent him, that he forgives sins. And so they're not really sure about this Jesus guy. They're not really liking this Jesus guy because he's seeming to challenge them on a lot of different points. But that's the background of what's happening. They're celebrating the lamps have all been lit, the light that came for the Israelites, hoping forward, looking forward to the day when this light would return. And here's what Jesus says, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What he's telling you is the pillar of fire in the wilderness, this celebration, looking forward to the future where we're going to worship the Messiah in Jerusalem. Guess what? I am he, uh, and he is here, and the light that you're looking forward to is standing right in front of you, which means uh, sometimes people say, well, Jesus in the New Testament, he never comes out and says, I am God. So we really don't know what he thought. No, in that time period, to the Israelites and to the Jewish people, what he is saying right here is, I am God. What he is saying to them is, I was the pillar of fire in the wilderness, and I'm the person that you're hoping for will return one day to worship in Jerusalem. I am here. I am right now. Jesus is emphatically and without any kind of confusion at all saying, I am God. I am the light that you guys are wanting to receive return. I am here. So he's claiming to be the light. Again, the lights have all been lit, lamps everywhere. He's saying these lamps are representations of me. I am here. And here's how the Pharisees, the religious leaders, respond. They say, respond by saying this. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Now, interesting, and I'll explain what that means. It's interesting that they don't say, you're wrong. It's interesting that they don't say, no, that's not true. Instead, they kind of kind of find ways to subvert what Jesus is saying. So what do they mean by this testimony thing? So According to Levitical law, the law of the Israelites, you had to have two witnesses. Anytime a major claim uh, was, was said by somebody, you had to have someone else witness the factor to back it up. So you couldn't make false claims about someone stealing something or someone doing this. You always had to have at least one more person to val- uh, validate what you're saying. And so the uh, religious leaders are like, well, you're only saying this about yourself, so we don't have to believe you. In other words, they're saying, prove it. And because you can't prove it, you're wrong. And so let's just kind of move, move along without actually addressing what you're saying. But here's how Jesus responds, verse 14. He says, even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. Here's what Jesus is saying. Technically, in a legal sense, what I'm saying is true. Why? Because I'm saying it and also God the Father. In previous parts in John chapter 5 and other instances before this time came up, Jesus would say things, he would perform miracles, and the religious leaders, they couldn't deny that Jesus, there was something different about Jesus, and so they didn't really, they didn't want to admit that he was God himself, and so they were like, they didn't know what to do. What Jesus is doing is he's pointing pointing back to the past conversations and said, look, you can't even say that I'm not who I say I am, so how do you even know that I'm not telling the truth? You don't. Continues on by saying this in verse 15. He says, you judge, talking to these leaders here, by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true, 
because it is not I alone who judge, but the Father who sent me. So again, he's saying, my testimony is true. We have me and God the Father. Now, here's what he's not saying. Sometimes people read this verse and say, see, Jesus didn't judge anyone. He's not saying that he doesn't judge or that he will never judge. It is true in Jesus' first coming, as we're reading about here, his goal for coming was not to judge the world. That'll come the second time he returns. The first time he came was to provide salvation and grace and hope. But that being said, it doesn't mean that he never judged when he was on earth. What he's saying is, you judge by human standards. In other words, your judgments are often superficial. They're often surface level. You're often judging people for not upholding the law when you've created all these extra rules, not because you want to honor me with your life so that you can lord it over people, so that you can say, look how holy I am, look how righteous I am. He said, I don't do that. If that's what you mean by judging, I don't do that. I judge the heart. I know people's hearts and people's desires. And ultimately, again, as we know that God did give Jesus to write the right to judge the world, which he will do when he returns a second time. But his point right now is my goal here is not to judge people, even though if I did, it would be right. My goal here is to offer you hope, forgiveness, and salvation. And then he continues by saying this in verse 17. He says, even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So then he goes, here's your answer. You're saying well, my, my testimony isn't true because I'm the only one saying it. He's like, no, God the Father also says this too. So it's not just me. And it's significant here when he says your law. Why does he say your law? Because if you know anything about Jesus, you know he's an Israelite. He is a Jew. He was brought up under the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf, so we couldn't do it. So why does he say your law and not our law? Again, this points back to the fact that the religious leaders had even added more laws on top of laws, not because they didn't want to break the laws that God had commanded them, but because they wanted to say, look how, now they didn't all do this, but the majority of them did. Look how great I am, and look how awesome I am, and you guys aren't holding up, you guys can't hold up to the standard that I have, so I must be better than you. And what Jesus is saying is, I came to fulfill your law, the law that you keep holding up as some great thing, when really you're holding it up so you can hold yourself up. I'm actually the fulfillment of it. I have come to, do, to be what? To be the light, to fulfill the law, but you're missing it, right? Because you're coming up with all these excuses. You're not wanting to see it. You're not wanting to live in the light. And so you make up all these excuses when Jesus says, no, I am fulfilling your law. And so again, here's how they respond. They don't respond by saying, well, no, that's not true. Or they don't respond by challenging him. They respond by giving another excuse. So they say this in verse 19. Then they asked him, the religious leaders, where is your father? So they're like, okay, well, maybe their father testimony true. Okay, that makes sense. But where is your father? Now, they know that Jesus, his father's was Joseph, his earthly father was Joseph. Joseph most likely had passed away by this point. But they knew, so they knew that, but they're trying to, again, poke fun at him and say, you can't prove it, so this God the Father, you say you're from God the Father, well, he's not here, so you can't prove it. Here's how he responds. He continues by saying this. Jesus says, you neither know me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury, which is a part of the temple while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And so Jesus is saying these things. He's very clearly, clearly saying he is God, which would have been blasphemy if it wasn't true, <clears throat> which, which is the, the charge for blasphemy was death. And so even though they, some of the religious leaders wanted to kind of arrest him at that point, they did it because his time had not yet come for him to be arrested. But what he's saying here is this, you don't know me or my father, because if you knew my father, you would actually know me. You would know that he sent me, and I've shown it to you. I've explained it to you, but you simply don't want it to be true. Again, he states here what they don't really understand. You don't really know me or where I came from. So you can't say my testimony isn't valid. You 
keep rejecting all these things that I'm saying. And you're doing it not because I haven't spoken to you, I haven't shown it to you, I haven't performed miracles on my beha- on God's behalf. You're doing this because you simply don't want to believe that Jesus is being very clear here that I am the light. He's saying, I am the light, which means here's what we need to know. This may seem obvious, but here's what we need to know this morning, that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and this is significant. Jesus does not say, I am a light. He does not say, I am the best light. He does not say, I'm blazing a new trail for a different path to God. No, he's saying, I am the light, which means he is either the light or he is not. There's no kind of in-between here. Either what Jesus is saying about himself is true or it is wrong. And so what he is telling us is that we need to follow him. He's saying, I am the light, the one and only light of the world. If you don't want to walk in darkness, you need to follow me. And so here's why this is important. Here's why knowing that Jesus is the light of the world is important. Because anyone who follows the light will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Anyone who follows the light will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have darkness around you. It doesn't mean difficult things won't happen to you, which I'll talk about in a second. But if we follow the light, that means we will not be in darkness, and you will have the light of life. Life. And here's what's significant about what's, about what's going on here. And this is kind of a, what Jesus is saying in verse 12. What's significant about this is that when Jesus is saying that he is the light and that you need to follow me to be in the light, he's not just bringing up in their minds the pillar of light in the Old Testament and the fact that they're looking forward toward a new Messiah coming to Jerusalem, who happens to be Jesus. He's not just saying that. In fact, the religious leaders of that day, many of them had, would have memorized large portions of the Old Testament. Some of them would have uh, memorized the entire Old Testament. And so when he's talking about being the light, he's also pulling in their minds images and verses and passages from the Old Testament that prophesied that the Messiah to come would be a light of the world. And so here are a few of them that would have come to their mind when Jesus says, I am the light, and if you follow me, you will not be in darkness. Here's one, Psalm 27, verse 1. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? That's what they're thinking of. He is saying, again, I am the Lord. I have come to be your light, to be your salvation, to give you grace, hope, mercy, and a future. And if you're following in this light, you will have salvation and you will have nothing or no one to feel because ultimately you know that you are God's. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am the light. Here's another one. Psalm 119 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. What's interesting is in John chapter one, the beginning of this gospel, uh, John describes Jesus as the Word. And what, so what he's saying here is that Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies, that he is the Word, that he is a lamp, that he is the light, and that when we follow him, we won't walk in darkness. Jesus, again, is telling them the light that you are looking forward to, to returning is here. I'll just give you one more. Of course, there's many of these that would have come into their mind. Here's the last one I'll, tell you, I'll give you this morning. It's in Isaiah 49, and it says this. It says, I, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. This is a prophecy about the Messiah to come. It says, I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. In other words, the Messiah to come, which is Jesus, did not come just for the Israelites or just for the Jewish people. He came for the world to be a light for anyone who would put their faith and hope and trust in him. This is part of the role of the Israelites, that one day the Messiah would come through them to save the world. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I am that light, and I'm not just here for you. I'm here for anyone that would put their faith and trust in me. But of course, they're not really a big fan of what's going on here. 
And here's what's interesting about walking in the light. Right? Here, here's what's interesting about walking in the light is that we know that being in the darkness is not fun, right? So Jesus is saying, follow me so that you won't be in the darkness. And here, here's why this is important, because we know walking in the darkness is not fun. Like, not only is walking in the darkness not fun, but when you see other people walking in the dark, like if they don't have a flashlight or something, you're like, what is happening? Like, it's kind of creepy, is it not? Like, I'll give you an example if you're like, what are you talking about? So uh, recently, I was driving home one night. It was like 1130 at night, something like that. And the, the road right outside our neighborhood, it's a one-lane road, and there's this bin before you get into our neighborhood. So I'm driving around this bin, and all of a sudden, I see two pair of eyes, and then another pair of eyes that's higher up. There was this woman walking two dogs at 11.30 night on the road. Now, there's no street lights, there's no anything. So immediately, my heart starts pounding, like, for, for, for whatever reason, the first thought is a zombie apocalypse is here, and she's, like, eating these dogs. I don't know. I'm like, why are you out here at 11? Nobody does that, right? And then my second thought was, they're going to, She's going to send her dogs to, like, stop me, even though I'm driving a car. I don't have to stop. But anyway, she's going to somehow stop my car, and then she's going to attack me, because why else would you be outside at 1130 at night? Like, it's just weird, right? So you don't do that. And I can only think of, I can only give you one example of when walking in the dark is probably acceptable and good, as opposed to walking in the light. And you probably agree with this, is that in the middle of the night, when you wake up to go to the bathroom, Right in the middle, you're like, yeah, you don't want to, why don't you want to turn the light on? Because it's harsh. And so it hurts your eyes and you want to be asleep. And so what happens to me is sometimes I wake up in the middle, I have to go to the bathroom. What do I do? I turn that, keep the lights off so that I will not wake up. And you're like, well, Dylan, what happens? Guys, I've done this enough. My echolocation is good. I know what I'm doing. And plus, my wife will let me know in the morning if something, you know, but I'm not trying to wake up, right? I'm not sure. I'm trying to stay asleep. And so, in fact, I'm a gentleman. I always, you know, uh, put the toilet seat down except before I go to bed so that that way at night, if I have to go to bed, no lights are coming on, I'm going to do anything. I'm like, that is the only time that I can think of where it's better to walk in the dark than walk in the light. And Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you will never walk in the dark. And here's the thing about this. So Jesus is telling us to be the light. He's telling us that he is the light for all the nations, which means that he is the light and other things are not. See, what so happens often happens to us is that we get focused on things that we want in light and we in life, and we kind of think those are the light. Like we think if I got out of debt or got an A on this test or this health situation went away, or if I could have a break, or if my kids were healthy and happy, or if I could get this career. And, and a lot of these desires that we have are good. But what happens is we say, if I could just have this or get this or have this happen, then my life would be great. And nothing else would be wrong. What we're doing, what was happening in those situations, is we're substituting the light for a different light. And if we go down that path trying to find that thing, we will find that that thing leaves us empty. And listen, we've all experienced this. Whether or not you believe in God, you're not sure about this Jesus thing, we've all gotten things in our life that we wanted. Now, we may have not gotten the big dreams that we wanted, but we've all gotten things that we wanted. And we're like, if I could just get this thing, then I'd be okay. Then we get this thing, whether it's a phone or a car or whatever we thought would make us happy, computer, whatever. And then a couple weeks later, it's like, well, we're back to normal. In fact, uh, researchers, do, researchers have done studies on people that get married, right? You get married, you're like, oh, my life's going to be different. This is going to be awesome. My outlook on life's going to be awesome. They have found that after being married for just three months, just three months, in your mind, you've already adjusted that to be normal again. And it, not that you don't appreciate being married and appreciate having your spouse, but that has no effect on your happiness after just three months. That big a life change. Because what happens is after we get things, we go back to normal and we're focused on the next thing. And so what happens is when we make things our light instead of Jesus our light, we will end up falling up short. And so let me just give you another example. I know many of you see me, and it happens in public when I see people in public, they're like, Dylan, Dylan, you are ripped. Like, you are jacked. You got muscles, right? And so you think if you could have muscles like me, then your light words would be fine. I'm just letting you know I got muscles, but I have other, I have other desires. Like, it doesn't, doesn't fulfill me, okay? So, if you're, so that's just an example, right? And he, so here's why this is important, okay? Here's why I wanted, I wanted to share that. It's because good gifts 
are effects of the light. They're not the light itself. See, many of the desires we have, some of them aren't very good, but many of the ones that we do have that are good, they are effects of the light, but they are not the light itself. What does it say in James? That every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, that God delights to give us good gifts. He delights when his children find joy and happiness in pursuing him and things that he might do for us, but they are not the light itself. And so when we get focused on, I just need this to happen, or I want this thing, what can happen so easily is we lose focus on the light, we start focusing on other things. And what we need to remember is that following these other things will not lead us to the light, but away from it. It's not that we can't have good desires and pursue things. It's not, but when we make those the biggest thing, we make, when we make those things the light in our life, ultimately that'll lead us away from the light to follow lesser things that will not satisfy us and cannot do what Jesus has done for us. Listen, Jesus being the light of the world, here's what this means ultimately. It means that the world has no other light but him. He is saying that I am the light of the world. What he's saying is that it is either me or it is darkness. And this is why it's helpful for us to take time sometimes and see what Jesus says about himself. Because what do we often say about Jesus? What do people often say about Jesus? Good guy, moral guy, had some great teachings, certainly wasn't God, definitely didn't raise from the dead, can't forgive us, that sort of thing. And what we just need to know is that either Jesus is what he said he is, who he says he is, or he's not. Like, there's no in-between he's a good person here. Like, just think about it. Someone you know came around you and said, maybe they had they were a really good person, they were generous, they were wise, they said good things, but they kept telling you, by the way, the, God the Father sent me, and I'm God, and I created the universe, and if you want to be saved and go to heaven, you need to trust in me, you need to lay down your life and follow me, and you need to confess all your sins to me, and only if you do that, then can you, you can be saved. Like, you would look at that person and be like, dude, you are crazy. Like you would not think you're some, unless he is actually who he said he is, you wouldn't think, oh, this is a good person, this is a moral person. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. We have a decision to make. Either He either is the light or he is a liar. There is no in-between here. So you and I have a decision to make. And here's what I've often found. And this is not true for everyone. This is not true for all the conversations I've had. But I have often found that when it comes to what people think about Jesus and God and whether or not they want to believe in God and follow him and all that sort of thing, that many times people just make up excuses instead of confronting whether or not Jesus is who he said he is. Oftentimes people make up excuses instead of confronting who Jesus is. Now I'm not saying that's all the case. Sometimes something, maybe something horrific has happened to you and that's absolutely okay and understand over you for you to question if God is good and if he's real and that sort of thing. But oftentimes what happens is we are just like the religious leaders. What do they say in verse 13? They say your testimony about yourself is not valid. In other words, they say prove it. And unless you prove it, I'm not going to believe in you. Or in verse 19, it says, where is your father? Again, they're saying, prove it. Unless you prove it, I'm not going to believe in you. And so it's not oftentimes I talk with people, and they're like, well, if God was good, then he wouldn't allow evil in the world. And I say, okay, well, let's just think about this. For, just, just for example, if God doesn't exist, then, then evil doesn't exist. Like, you and I cannot say there's such thing as evil and suffering just because you don't like something. doesn't mean it's wrong. Unless God exists, unless there is a perfect standard of goodness and wrongness, no one can say, and besides something that you may think is wrong, someone else might not think is wrong. And so you can't even say there's such thing as evil unless there is God. So oftentimes, again, we come up with excuses instead of just confronting whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. Sometimes we say, like, have you ever done this? Like, tomorrow, God, if you're real, then I want you, the person that I sit next to at work or school, whatever, they're going to have a red shirt on, right? And if they don't have a red shirt, like, if you're there, you want to prove yourself to me, right? So we make God this, like, puppet. Or, like, I'll give you another, I'll give you an example of this. One time, uh, one time, I said this one time because my wife actually dumped me twice. The second time she dumped me, right? This year, here's what we do with God sometimes. We, she, next second time she dumped me, she we went she went on a short term missions trip like the next couple days later with our church. It was like a week long thing in somewhere in Arizona, and so she she had she told me later she was praying to God that if I'm really supposed to be with Dylan and if we're really supposed to get married, 
then when I come home, he's going to be the one to pick me up from the airport. Right? And I'm like, okay, imagine it. So did I pick her up from the airport? Of course not. Imagine if I had picked her up from, listen, imagine if I had picked her up from the airport. You know what everyone would have thought? This dude is a stalker and he is weird. Like nobody would have thought that was romantic. They'd be like, dude, you need, you need help. And this is what we do for God sometimes, right? We're like, unless you do this or I'm not sure about this. And so instead of confronting and seeing if Jesus is who he says he is, we just kind of leave it on the shelf. We keep doing what ourselves and what, whatever we want to do. And what Jesus is saying is you don't do that. Confront who I am. Either I am who I am or I'm not, but I can't be this in-between thing. And in fact, the religious leaders of the day obviously came to the conclusion that Jesus is actually claiming to be God, so much so that if you continue to read John chapter 8 and you get to the end of the chapter, that's when they try to kill him for the first time. This is when they try to kill him for the first time. They pick up stones to stone him, but he leaves before he can be killed. And that's ultimately why he was killed, for blasphemy, for, for claiming to be God. And so you and I have a decision to make. Is Jesus the light or is he not. And, and, and here's the thing for you. What, what, what is it for you? Like, if you're not sure about the Jesus thing, let me just ask, what is it for you? Is it because you're legitimately not sure? And that is an okay place to be as long as it's like, I mean, are you legitimately not sure? Or are you just making up reasons like the Pharisees? Or is it because you're afraid of the light? Is, it, is the reason sometimes we have a problem with God because we're actually afraid of the light and what it might reveal? And I'll talk about that in just a second, but here's what we need to do, right? Because anyone who follows the light will never walk in darkness, here's what we need to do. We need to follow the light. We need to follow the light. And here's the thing about darkness, right? Darkness for much of human history, even today, was kind of associated with evil. Like darkness was bad, evil was, or light was good. Even like if you're a kid, like what's one of your first fears in life? The dark, right? You're scared of, like nobody wants to be in the dark. And so what Jesus is saying is follow the light. And, so, and oftentimes our first step in following the light is realizing the darkness for what it is. Oftentimes, our first step in following the light is realizing the darkness for what it is, that it does not give light, life, and that ultimately it will destroy you. Put it another way, is that until we see the darkness for what it is, we will not see our need for the light. Until we see the darkness for what it is, we will not see our need for light. What did we all do this week because we thought the hurricane was going to hit us hard? You got flashlights, and you made sure your phone was charged, and you got batteries. Why? Because you wanted to be prepared in case you were in the dark. You did not want to be in darkness. If you go camping, what do you do? You, get a, you do things so that you can have light with you. Why? Because we recognize that darkness is coming. And oftentimes, what our, our issue may be is that we don't understand that what darkness is and what darkness will ultimately do for us and what Jesus has done to rescue us from it. And so until we see the darkness for what it is, we will not see our need for the light. And so here's really the bottom line. Here's what I want us to know this morning. And that's this, that when I see the darkness for what it is, I will desire the light for who he is. When I see the darkness for what it is, I will desire the light for who he is. And I don't know your story if you're a follower of Christ. It could be darkness that showed you your need for the light. It could have been some tragic thing that happened to you, or maybe it was a poor decision that you made. And it's been God's grace to you to allow you to go through that thing so that you could see that life and light is ultimately found in him. Many of you know my story when I was 19. Uh, my father died, and lots of stuff happened that year. It was really difficult. It was the most difficult year of my life, but I saw and experienced Jesus in ways that I never have since then because it was so dark. It was the darkness that allowed me to really see Jesus for who he is. And listen, if, dark, if God uses darkness for us to see our need for him, then that is a good thing. That he, not that we need to be happy that we experienced it or glad that we experienced suffering, but if, he, if, if we saw Jesus through that, that is God's grace to, for us to know that one day we will enter into his kingdom because of what he did for us, for anyone that loves and trusts in Jesus. When we see that darkness is where we're headed and what we deserve apart from him, that's when we will really desire the light. 
And so again, when I see the darkness for what it is, I will desire the light for who he is. And here's why we need to do this. Here's why we need to follow the light, so that we don't walk in darkness. Why do we need to follow the light so that we won't walk in darkness? And what is darkness? Darkness is simply the absence of light. Uh, light is something you can quantify, you can measure. Darkness is not. And whenever light is in darkness, light always overcomes it. And that's what Jesus came to do. He, he came to overcome darkness for us and in our lives. And so we need to follow him so that we do not walk in darkness. And here's the thing about following. Oftentimes when you follow, it means you may not know where you're going. Like Think back if you have been driving long enough before cell phones and GPSs were a thing. And let's say you wanted to follow someone somewhere because you couldn't put in your phone. A lot of times when you follow someone somewhere else, you're like, I have no idea where this person is going. Please tell me they're going the right way, right? And so, that, but that, but, so it doesn't always make sense. And following Jesus is no different. When you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean your life is going to be put together. It doesn't mean you're going to be healthy and happy. And everything you want to have happen to you is going to not happen to you. Instead, following Jesus sometimes can make life go worse for you. A lot of the New Testament believers, that's what happened to them. But if we follow the light, we know ultimately we will one day enter into his kingdom and be in full light. It does not mean that everything is going to be planned out for you. It's not going to be, mean everything is going to make sense. Jesus is not asking us to change the world. He's not asking us to do some big radical thing. He's simply asking us to follow him and honor him right where we are. And so the question then is, why don't we do this? Like we all would agree, no one wants to walk in darkness. No one wants to be in the dark. If Jesus came to offer us light, to offer us hope and grace and forgiveness and purpose, why don't we always follow him? Here's why I think the answer to that question is here's why sometimes we kind of make excuses instead of confronting Jesus for who he is. Because light exposes darkness, right? The reason why I don't turn on the light when I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night is because I don't want to be, I want to sleep, right? It's getting darker in the mornings now because, you know, time change, or time hasn't changed yet, but, you know, there's less light during the day. So maybe in the mornings you're waking up and it's dark outside. Turning on the light is sometimes harsh and you don't like it, but once you've adjusted to it, you would rather have the light on than darkness. And sometimes following the light exposes things that we don't want to expose. If we're not a follower of Christ and we're not sure about this Jesus thing, you may know in the back of your mind, if I decide to follow Jesus, that may mean I have to make adjustments to my life that I don't want to make right now. Or that may mean, you know, I'm going to have people hold me accountable and help me become more like Jesus. And so sometimes they say things that kind of sting, but they love me. And so I know I need to hear it, but I would rather not hear it. So I'd rather walk in the light, in the dark than in the light. And what Jesus is saying here is that apart from me, you will one day experience complete darkness. That what we see here on earth is just a shadow of what is to come, both in, in eternity heaven and eternity hell. And see, here's the, he, so what he's saying here is that in this life, it's a shadow. So you may be in darkness, kind of like when we started the service with just the light on. Following Jesus does not mean the whole light in the room is going to be lit up for you. But one of the things that the New Testament describes heaven as is a place where there's continuously light everywhere, that there is no darkness, that somehow it seems to be that there will be light, light that will penetrate through the walls, uh, through, through, gra- through whatever heaven, the kingdom of God is light. There is not darkness anywhere. Why? Because we're in God's presence. And this is what eternity away from God is. It's darkness. It's knowing that God exists, but he has completely removed himself from your situation, and from your life. And so what we see here is just a shadow of the greatness that is to come or the darkness that is to come apart from what Christ has done for us. This is why Jesus came, to provide us light like this lamp so that we ultimately can experience true light because of what he has done for us. That is why he came. So what I want to do is I just want to read one more passage real quick, John chapter 1. The band will come up on the stage. I just want to read this. You can, you can flip there, but it will also be on the screen. And here's what this says. In John chapter 1, this is how John, as I mentioned before, begins his gospel. He says this. In the beginning was the Word. He's talking about Jesus. We won't get into all what the the meaning of the Word is right now. But he's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, just like in Psalm 19 that we read. 
He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. This is why Jesus came. This is the gospel. That when I see the darkness for what it is, I will desire the light for who he is. Jesus made a way, not because of anything we could do or our efforts to try to be a good person, to be the light in the darkness, to live the perfect life we could not live, to sacrifice himself to experience the complete darkness that we deserve so that anyone that trusts for their faith and hope in him will one day experience true light. This is why he came. The thing thing about light is that light changes our perception. You can see things better. You can see things more clearly. I just want you to know this morning, whether you're a follower of Christ, maybe you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, that Jesus came to be the light. And this might be your situation right now. Right now, your life, it may feel like this. It may feel dark. It may feel confusing. You might know what not know what your future holds. You might not know what you're supposed to do. You might not know anything. You might be going through a difficult situation. This might be your life. And if it's not your life right now, I think all of us have been places where this was our life. Where we've experienced this. Where we have walked in the darkness. But here's what Jesus is offering us. Jesus came to offer us light. John 3, 16, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible says this, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is why God came, God sent Jesus. Not because we have to earn it, not because we have to do all these great things and make sure we never do wrong again. No, he came that anyone that would put their faith and trust in him, that he experienced the complete darkness on our behalf, so that we can experience light. It's just kind of like, you know, lighthouses, they're kind of more of a historical artifact than being used now because of modern technology. Before modern technology is what it is, what what did lighthouses do on the coast? They let the ships know, hey, if you come this way, you will be safe. They did not illuminate the entire ocean. They did not let them see everything. All they said was, come and follow me, and you will be safe. And this is what Jesus is asking us to do. He's saying, come and follow me. Your life will not be perfect. You, you, you life will not be great. And in this life, you may even experience difficulties and harm like some of our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world. But one day, you will enter into God's kingdom where there's no more pain, darkness, death, hurting, depression, anything. Because of what Christ has done for us, all we have to do is repent and believe and be honest that we need a Savior. We need a life. So again, if this is your situation right now, you just need to know that it doesn't have to be this way forever. This is not what God designed for you. God came to be a light. And what do we know about the light? That the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, and the darkness will not.